Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along show. Hello, JRA listeners. We are not doing an episode this week because Kenny was in St. George and Matt was wrapping up his vacation uh, from work and it just didn't happen. So, just a couple of housekeeping things before I give you something else to entertain you that is JRA adjacent. Today, Monday, April the 3rd, is the final day for your t-shirt pre-order. We have two colors of t-shirts, and we have long-sleeve t-shirts and tank tops. This is probably the only one we're going to do this year, so get them while they're hot. The episode that I'm going to post today for your listening pleasure is actually episode zero of the Antlerless podcast, and I know a lot of you haven't listened to it, so I'm just going to put it on the feed here. Um, I know it is hunting adjacent, and uh, that's not something that everyone loves, but this is really just kind of a get-to-know-you thing, and since we're doing our Hot Ones call for listener questions, Hot Ones-style questions, I guess maybe it'll inspire a few of you to have some questions for me. So if you have questions for us, for any of the hosts, use our web contact form on our website, make the subject Hot Ones question for whoever it is, and that way I can make sure that if it is for me that I don't read it, if it's for Matt that he doesn't read it, read it. so we have a little, a little bit of surprise there when we're actually doing it. So check that out and enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Antlerless Podcast. Hunting for everyone. Hello and welcome to episode zero of the Antlerless Podcast. I'm Andrea. I'll be your host of this podcast. And today we are going to go through just a little bit about what this podcast is here to do and a little bit of background information about me. I'm here with Matt, who is my partner in Just Riding Along Outdoor Media as well as in life. Hey, Matt, how are you doing today? Things are going swell. I'm here just for moral support and to move the conversation along. I am... Well, it would sound weird if I just sat here and talked about myself for half an hour. Well, so you said we, and I was like, yeah, I hope she introduces me, because if not, that'll be really odd. <laughs> but this isn't about me. This is about you. This is the this is the you show, because you... Well, I'm going to go first, and then you can go second, and then we will talk about you again, and then you differently, and then the show, and this and that. Like, I don't really hunt that much. I hunt some. I think it's fun. I also am not that tough, um, and I don't find myself to be extremely adventurous. I'm not really that comfortable being out in the woods alone for long periods of time, just because. I just not well, that's that. A, that's okay. I mean, I think that... The well, type wasn't of done. the I type wasn't... of hunting that you do is probably way more relevant to a lot of people than the type of stuff I like to do. So that's all right. Yeah, but I like hunting small game. It's really fun. Uh, I like squirrel hunting just because it seems to be a little more action. I don't want to say action guaranteed, but maybe a little bit more action oriented is a way to put it. But let's talk about what 
the show is supposed to do, and then we'll talk about why you would be good at making this show and how your background will add credence to the things you're going to cover, and then we can cover those things a tiny bit or a little bit more in depth. So what do you want this show to to do? Basically, there are lots and lots of podcasts out there, lots of YouTube videos, lots of content out there for just the average hunter, which tends to be a dude. Um, but let me interject here: a dude that gets it. They already know how to shoot. They already, or are at least not, they think they do. They don't admit that maybe they're not comfortable with X, Y, or Z. So exactly. it's just like, and then we went and blasted some elk. <laughs> right. So I want this podcast to be kind of for everyone else. You know, it's going to be really, it's going to be geared towards women, but not necessarily just women, um, smaller people, just people other than the average dude that the hunting industry markets towards. That's who this podcast is really for, though that doesn't mean that that's the only person that's going to enjoy it. Yeah, and I think a different way to put that is like, when you look at your normal hunter There's a certain like machismo and there's a certain like bravado that goes along with that. And even myself, I don't fit into that role. You know, if you look at me in an early season squirrel hunt, dudes will just tell me everything about their elk hunt because I'm in a pair like hokas with an ultimate direction hydration pack to carry my squirrels out with. And I... I have these green chinos that are super stretchy and comfortable to like bang around on a skinny pants. Well, they're just like pretty fitted, but they're stretchy and they're like great for banging around on a normal day. And I have like a camo t-shirt on and an orange Oakley, like blaze orange Oakley hat and Oakley glasses. Like they're like, man, I ain't seen an elk in a month of Sundays. You know, like they look at me and they have no problems just spilling the beans and it's because i don't look like i'm there to hunt their elk and at the same time though like i do kind of get that eyebrow of do you kill anything you know yeah i killed some shit um oh we're gonna say curse words here too yeah yeah we're gonna cuss on this channel it's totally fine but um so that's my interjection there is like it's not just like oh if you're a dude need not apply it's just like if you're like on the fringe of what normal hunting Ooh, that's a good way to put it yeah like you're Hunters just on, on the fringe yeah you're just on the fringe like maybe you're really big and people are going to look at you and think that there's no way you hiked in to where you want to hunt deer or maybe you're a really small person and people are going to look at you and be like there's no way you can shoot a gun that'll actually take down a deer and I just keep saying deer because I think that's pretty relevant nationwide. And the same with, you know, like maybe looking at someone and thinking like, well, you wouldn't know how to field dress an animal or whatever it may be. So just, again, it's those, those fringes, you know. Exactly. All right. Well, do you want to start talking about, I want to talk about myself now. When did you start hunting? I started hunting when I was about... 10 or 12 years old. I don't whenever I was big enough to hold the 20 gauge shotgun that I have I still have now. That's when I started hunting and I went dove hunting with my dad and I actually did as a test recording for my remote recording software. I did an interview with my dad about me getting started hunting. So I'm not going to talk a lot about it here because I'm going to post that as kind of like an episode 0 and a half. That, that, 
that's not how numbers work. You can't start with zero and then put up a next full thing and it be not one. This is this continue. This isn't my this isn't my dog and pony show, but I just had to get mathematical for a moment. Um, yeah. So like dove hunting, what other styles of like how much how long how much and how long did you hunt as a kid? I think that's like we'll segue into the next thing. Yeah, so I dove hunted Every year, uh, my mom's side of the family would have a dove hunt over a sunflower field, which I think is a pretty universal way of dove hunting that a lot of people will understand. I did that. I went duck hunting a lot. Did a lot of duck hunting. I froze my ass off in the woods a lot because they don't make that because they don't really make child size, or at least back then you couldn't get really warm child size clothing. So I was, um, yeah, I freeze, I froze my butt off a lot doing that, but it was a lot of fun. Killed a lot of ducks, ate a lot of ducks. I went on a deer hunting trip with my dad in Montana when I was a little bit older of a teenager, and that was really good. I killed a mule deer doe, and that was actually, that's actually the only deer that I've killed. But since then, um, I had a long hiatus. And when I moved to Colorado from Memphis, you're, you're, you're jumping ahead. We're not. We're not. We're not there we're yet. We're not there yet. Okay. So you hunted. You rode horses, also, right? Yes. What rode. was the timing on that? Did you hunt first, horse ride first? Oh gosh, they probably started about the same. I had a childhood friend who had a pony, and that was like my dream. Just like every little girl, I'm like, oh, Dad, I want a pony. I want a pony. I want a pony. Finally, I think in maybe sixth or seventh grade I got a horse and the horse was absolutely bonkers my dad bought it from his cousin who was a horse trader and he was just like yeah she's she likes to go fast and so he sold my dad this horse that was like a the Ricky Bobby of horses <laughs> like the Ricky yeah this horse was a barrel racing horse and literally if the barrels were set up in the arena and you know, you rode the horse up to the gate it would just like hop up and down with excitement and as soon as you kind of let loose of the reins would just take off across the arena so that was my first experience I took riding lessons before then so I was somewhat prepared but that was my first horse that I owned was one that was batshit insane and she was awesome loved that horse I don't have I had I did a lot more riding after that and training and I kind of quit horseback well quit training when I was good enough and dumb enough that people were like, hey, this horse has put two people in the hospital and no one wants to ride it. Can you train it so we can sell it and get rid of it? And I did that a couple of times and realized that I was going to absolutely destroy myself. So I stopped doing that and I still ride occasionally. I've got a friend that has uh, an older horse that I'll go out and ride around on. And I'd love to, to ride more, but I just don't... Um, I don't really have the means for it currently. Yeah. Horses are really expensive. And, well, we can get to their mechanical counterpart later. But, um, well, a horse, if it gets sick, it has to go to the doctor right now. If your dirt bike stops working, you can take care of it later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you rode horses. You aged out of that, right? It wasn't cool anymore. Well, it wasn't that it wasn't cool. It's that my ability to ride was at the point and my need for money 
kind of crossed this path where it was not really safe for me to ride. And, you know, it's pretty easy to find a professional horse trainer that will get on a horse that hasn't sent two people to the hospital. So I wasn't getting those clients. I was only getting the ones that were, I was kind of like the last resort. So I stopped doing it. Then you started training dogs? Yeah. Yeah. For a couple of years, I started training dogs or I was training dogs. I had a Jack Russell Terrier that was just a total shithead. And so I went to obedience class with him and he did well and he turned into less of a shithead. And very, very appropriate there. Less. Less. Well, he was a Jack Russell Terrier and they're just, they're terriers. They're made to, they were bred to go in the hole of a, of an animal and pull it out of its hole and fight with it. So, you know, everything that goes along with that is terrier. But anyway. Only dog that's ever broken the skin on me is that dog. Yeah. So I did well. He did well at obedience and I actually did really well at obedience. And the person that I was taking obedience from was like, hey, do you want to come and be a training assistant? Do you want to help me out during classes? Do you want to... He also did protection classes. And here I go again with the dangerous shit. This becomes a theme in my life. Is, do you want to, in the protection classes, get in the decoy suit and get bitten by dogs that weigh as much as you do? (laughs) You're like, I like money. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, I did that. Um, We actually... This was in Memphis, and when 9/11, the 9-11 terrorist attacks happened, we took two dogs that were trained in recovery, which is different from search and rescue. This is finding people who are no longer alive. We took two recovery dogs up to the World Trade Center site and did several days of recovery work there, which was, I guess to put it lightly, a life-changing event. But didn't train, he kind of got out of training dogs and had to get a different job. He wasn't making a lot of money doing it. So, you know, that only lasted a couple of years, but it was definitely a very, uh, very impressionable time of life. But you still wanted to be dangerous. Yes. You still wanted that, Ricky Bob, you tasted speed and you wanted more. (laughs) Yes. So you started street racing in cars. Well, (laughs) Well, I was in a relationship at the time and... You know, when you're a woman in your 20s, a lot of times you are seeking approval. Validation. Validation, things like that. And in the relationship that I was in, the guy wanted to get into cars and street racing. So I'm like, yes, I want everyone to like me. So I'm going to get into this also. And I can do dangerous things that are fast. So I got into it. And... I actually got pretty good at working on cars. I had a Honda Del Sol and I installed my own nitrous kit in it. Did all of the wiring and the mounting of everything and yeah, it was it was fun. I could like six cylinder Mustangs. I ate those things for fucking lunch, man. They were wonderful. But so I did that and you know, not only is that again me just doing fast and stupid things. That was one of the first times I really got into a male-dominated sport and a male-dominated field, too, because I was kind of, I made a small amount of money working on other people's vehicles during the time. 
All right, so you've gone fast, felt the speed again, and now you start trail running. Yeah, I was in college at the time, and I was, I know this isn't going to make sense. I did a lot of weightlifting in college because I was a health and sports science major for both graduate and, or undergraduate and graduate. Um, I went into health and sports science. I did a lot of weightlifting. And at one point, I had a back injury. And during that time, I started trail running, which I know doesn't make sense, but it made sense then. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I made friends who trail ran. And in the summertime, we've, I figured out that the trails in Memphis, because it has a very jungle-like climate, the trails get overgrown with lots of scratchy, itchy things and ticks. So they would go out and ride road bikes. And I had a friend with a hybrid bike that I could borrow. And they're on these fast, skinny, tired road bikes. And I am on a hybrid. And I would just go and keep up with them. What happened next? I got a road bike. And then? And I started road racing. And then... A couple of years I was doing it, I mean, I guess it was on the professional, I was racing professionals, but I never actually got a paycheck. But at one point I was doing it and not having to pay for it. So Then that imploded? Yeah, yeah, that team, you know, road racing, especially around, this was around like 2008, 2009, road racing for women at that point in time, there are multitudes of women who raced at that level, who were in very disordered relationships with their team managers and coaches. And it that on lots of levels, I mean, from at the worst, you know, abusive, like physically and sexually abusive relationships with team managers, coaches, people like that. And, you know, on the level where I was, it was more like I was watching that happen with my teammates and... I had, he definitely, you know, the team manager definitely said he was going to run me over with the van if I got dropped during a team ride. So that burnt me out pretty quick. And so I sold a lot of my road bike stuff and got a mountain bike. And that's when stuff really started to happen. So you get a mountain bike, you quit, you start racing a lot, you quit teaching at the university level and start working at a bike shop. And it all goes downhill from there. And, <laughs> and this is about the time that I met you because you were doing road rides out of a shop that I worked at. So right. that's where like our paths started crossing. Yeah. And, and see what would happen is Andrew would go out on the road bike and just like, for lack of a better way to put it, put these dudes dicks in the dirt. Like they just didn't stand a chance. <laughs> and then on the mountain bike, they would be like, oh, I'm going to destroy you now. So they weren't actually riding together and I wasn't very smart meaning like I just didn't know any better and I'm just like yeah we can mountain bike ride together and she was like cool like I can break too hard in this corner and then catch this guy because he's slow <laughs> yeah and that's pretty much how it went for uh ever <laughs> so well for a while and this is really important to where I am now with archery even though this was a long time ago Oh, we got a lot of ground to cover between yeah, now and then. we got a lot of ground to cover. But when I got a mountain bike, I immediately, my second ride out, 
went off into a bunch of vines and jungly Memphis stuff and ripped the derailleur straight off the bike. And I had to walk back to my car because I didn't have the tools to repair it. And I had no freaking idea how to repair it, even if I had had the tools to repair it. And then I started mountain bike racing. And I'm like, I am in places where I could get stranded and I don't know how to fix my equipment. And I got to learn everything there is to know about this because I have to be able to do this myself. And that... Also a running theme. Also a running theme. So I dive in it on the professional level. I mean, I went from being a university teacher in health and sports science to being a bike mechanic so that I could... Well, for one, I really love hands-on work. You know, it was it's definitely a job that's more suited to me than teaching because it's just active. And it's very, you know, you're always dealing with something a little bit different. And it just goes along with my personality and the way I think and work. And it made sense for me, even though it was like a pay cut of about a third. Like I was making a third of what I was making as a university teacher. but you know, mentally I was in a much better place and I was learning all about mountain bikes so that I could take care of myself when I was out on my mountain bike. So then you moved from Memphis to Colorado. Yep. I Um, think we can fast forward this a bit. Yeah. Well, no. Mountain bike racing in Memphis becomes a little bit stale to you. So you start fighting MMA. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, naturally. You know, naturally, like when you get bored with mountain bike racing. Well, during that time, I did a lot of, before that, rewind just a second. I did a lot of 100-mile mountain bike races, like a lot of them. I have no idea how many. I could go back and count, but I it, that would be boring. I am just know that I've probably done, I don't know, 10,000 miles worth of mountain bike race. I don't know, maybe not that much. But lots and lots and lots of 100-mile mountain bike races. So, yeah. So, I kind of got bored with those. And I started doing mixed martial arts. Because that's what you do when you're bored with mountain bike racing. So, you moved to Denver-ish. I mean, to... Now, we got to talk about the time I did one MMA fight and totally... I got fucking rocked. (laughs) Like, all the way. All right, well, you just talked about it because that's what happened. You did one MMA fight and your nose got fully broken. It got, if you can imagine taking a bag of like a tra- like a fun size bag of Lay's potato chips and crunching them up with your hands, that's what my nose was like. So it's a little crooked now. But anyway, yeah, so not too long after that, I found a temporary job near Denver out in the mountains and I for the summer. And I went to be a bike mechanic there with kind of like, well, I can do this for a few months because it's temporary because it closes down in the wintertime. And then I'll just figure out what to do after that. And I found more bike mechanic jobs around Denver. Got really tired with how crowded the Denver Front Range area is and moved to Salida, Colorado to be a bike mechanic there. And for those of you that are like, huh, the Memphis metro area is the size of Denver proper meaning like the population-wise, but when you leave Memphis, there's nothing. And when you leave Denver, you have everything from Fort Collins to Colorado Springs. It's essentially one giant 
amorphous blob of suburbia. So right. it's a little more Yeah, like Memphis, Memphis has like a ring of suburbs around it. And then you're out in just soybean fields and cotton fields. Denver, not quite so much. It's just miles of suburbs for a long time. So get tired of Denver, move to, and let's make this one fellish swoop, move to Salida, and then evolution to Hermit continues. Not long <laughs> after that, move to Howard. So like, imagine if you move to a city of a few thousand in a county of 20,000 and said, nah. Too you, many people. And you move 15 miles down the highway to a town of 900 without a gas station. Right. So that's where I am now. I live up on the side, kind of in the foothills of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, I guess you'd call it. And I've got a couple acres. And I started, when I was in Salida, I was kind of thinking, hey, once again, I'm a little bored with what I'm doing. I'm going to try hunting. And I'm not going to start with something slightly easier like a deer or rabbits squirrel. or squirrels. Or I'm going to go straight go fishing. to yeah. There's there was a fit. There's a, you know the Arkansas River was literally if you were good at throwing rocks, a stone's throw from my front door. But I mean, I, let's let's say it was under 200 yards. I don't know if you could throw a stone, but uh, you could shoot could. an arrow into the. Oh yeah, totally. So. Yeah, I just was like, well, hey, I'm going to try elk hunting because that's, I don't know. I don't know why that appealed to me first, but I got my cow elk tag and, you know, after a week of really hard and frustrating hunting, I got real lucky and just happened upon a herd of cow elk and shot one. There he is. Boom. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So. And when we say lucky. I was not hunting, like. The way that you hunt out west of like glassing for hours and then stalking, I was just, I was literally just kind of walking around and was like, oh, there's elk. But also this elk ended up being, I mean, that was back in 2018. I think so. Yeah. Cause this house was 2019. It was before this house. So it was really lucky, like only a few hundred yards from where that animal fell to where it could be loaded into my truck. So that worked out really well. Right. So I, since then, have elk hunted two other times and been unsuccessful. Skunked. Yep. And, you know, I decided I would love to hunt elk when they're making noise because I suck at finding elk. So I had a couple of unsuccessful elk hunts and decided I would love to try archery hunting because once I am skunked twice with rifle hunting of course i want to try the arguably more difficult style of hunting but one where you can usually listen to elk making noise and try to locate them which is very appealing to me i like that idea i love i mean don't get me wrong i hunt to eat but the thought of calling and then a bull elk just running in, like, come at me, bro. I'm going to kick your ass. Like, that is really exciting to me. Danger. <laughs> Enters the chat one more time. <laughs> so maybe I'm going to interject a little background on myself. I grew up shooting a lot, like recreationally shooting, like 
one of my earliest memories is shooting a, a Ruger 22 pistol with my dad. Um, and I come to hunting more as I really like to shoot and shooting is fun. I can make squirrels. We can have squirrel enchiladas, right? Yeah. But Andrea is now taking that approach with archery. So Andrea is like, I want to sh- be able to call things that are angry and horny and <laughs> have them come charging at me and then look around like, where's that dude? I want to kick his ass. Ow, ow, ow. That wasp thing really hurts. Ow, oof, e. <laughs> Crash. Crash. Um, but Andrea's diving into archery much the same way that I shot as a kid is she's really getting into like, let's say more of the mechanics of it. The and technical parts. Yeah, so she did what anyone logical would do is she went to the archery shop and she spent, a, and maybe let me, before I interject a number there, bicycles are really expensive. Yeah, bikes. If you're, if you're coming to this from a, I'm going to make some quick analogies, you can get a nice bike for about $1,000 and that's going to be pretty equivalent to your normal F-150, you know, $40,000 truck. It's just a truck. You can do stuff with it. You can get a bike for like a thousand bucks that you can do stuff with and in the world of bike racing, what's really odd is normal people can go and buy, if we're going to say with Ford, what Bryce Menchies would race in the Baja 1000, which is, you know, $500,000 truck. The bicycle equivalent equivalent of that is $12,000 at retail. And I say that is really odd because if you went to the Ford dealership and said, I want to buy a Baja truck, they'd be like, you could have a dump truck full of money and, and they could not sell you a Baja truck. No, you can't go buy one in the cycling world it's much like hunting you know you can go to the gun shop and you can buy that rifle scope ammo everything that you know for argument's sake randy newberg or steven ranella shoots right you can go buy those things in the bike world it's quite the same and twelve thousand dollars buys you what is being raced in, for argument's sake, the Tour de France? If you wanted a really fancy road bike, twelve grand covers it. That's that's really as nice as it gets. Right, um, and the the bike that I ride now, and multiple bikes are on that same level. Not that I had that much money. It's just that I used to work in a bike shop, so I got to buy it for wholesale price instead of retail price. And the closing part is a really nice wheel set for a bike is going to be in the neighborhood of fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars. So as a reasonable person, Andrea goes to the bow shop and she's like, I like nice shit. And she bought like a $1,500 bow because, well, no reason to buy a $500 bow and then later want the $1,600 one. It's buy nice or buy twice. So she went and bought nice. And now she's divin, uh, divin, dived, dove. Dove. She's she's done doved. Uh, Full speed, head first into this and like I do with everything everything Andrea's Andrea's so I went from having yeah from from buying a bow in October because they told me come back after archery season is over we'll have more time to just spend a few hours picking out a bow for you so yeah in October I bought a bow and I'm not saying I know everything but I can carry on a technical conversation about archery and arrows with most people and definitely ask questions along the way and and know enough to learn from the answer that they give great phrasing would be 
I don't know everything about anything, but I know a little something about just about everything. Sure. So, with that, that's Andrea, and that's that's important to know when we tackle what she wants to cover in this podcast. Yes. So, for a quick recap, just to catch everyone up in 30 seconds, she hunted, she rode horses, trained dogs, street race cars, raced bikes in all kinds of ways, got punched in the face doing MMA, she's back hunting, shoots guns, and is now headfirst diving into archery, but don't forget, she was a college professor for sportsy shit. So, with that said... <laughs> and was a bike mechanic for about 11 years. Well, you're still a bike mechanic. Yeah. And Just off duty right now. Yeah, well, in a different way to think of it, it, for those of you that are coming to this not from the bicycle side of our world, we are still cycling folks through and through. I work for an online bike shop doing customer support, and we still have really good connections in the bicycle industry. We have a light full-service workshop at home. I think that's a good way to put it. We can't do everything for everything, but we can do just about everything for just about everything that we own. And we have, where was I going with that? Oh, so Andrea is still very technically savvy and still working on bicycles and is now applying all that to archery, knife sharpening, you name it, she's doing it. Yeah. And the bike industry, just from what I've seen so far about the hunting industry, the bike industry is maybe about three or four years ahead of the hunting industry as far as being something that's not all just middle-aged white men. So it's, I can see, I, I can see the people starting to try to make the changes in the hunting world, but they're not quite, and the bike industry still has a long way to go. So, you know, that's definitely something uh, I think important to acknowledge here, but keep going. Oh, I mean, now it's the floor is yours oh, for yeah. this stuff. So let's run through this and, and wrap this up so we can uh, go skiing. Yeah. So the things, I'm going to have kind of three main branches of the Antlerless podcast. One is some tech and equipment. And this is going to be helping, like I said in the beginning, most of what's out there is really geared towards like your average dude, someone who's I don't know, 180 pounds, six feet tall, and has a certain base level of strength and athletic ability. So I want to get into tech and equipment to help out smaller people and people that maybe don't fit that one average guy category uh, with finding what works for them for guns, for archery, for just outdoor stuff in general, kind of hit that. Then also some kind of health and training, because I think that uh, a concern for a lot of people, not just women, not just smaller people, is having the fitness to go out in the woods confidently and not be like, hey, I'm going to get exhausted. Or, hey, I can't carry this gun for five miles at a time or something like that. Or even thinking, well, I can only hunt, like knowing your limits, knowing what you can do and and having a good idea of saying, well, I can only hunt within this zone of my camp, truck, scooter, whatever it may be, (laughs) in order to know that I can confidently pack this out before spoilage. Right. right? And then being able to 
say, well, I'm going to do this little bit of training during the summertime so I can kind of push that mileage just a little bit or push, you know, maybe I can carry along with this shoulder quarter of an elk. I'm going to go ahead and throw the bag full of like back straps and tenderloins in there and I can carry that out because I did this little bit of training. So just stuff like that to just help you get the confidence that you need to go that little bit of extra distance fitness wise. And then the one that I think is the maybe the the oddest one to tackle in terms of how people might feel about it is the 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 people on those fringes that are going to get the the phrase like this lobbed at them when seen by other hunters. You out here by yourself? <laughs> so, I feel like hunters of all ages, shapes, sizes, creeds, whatever love a good hunting story you know people that's just a part of hunting if you're doing it socially is sitting around the campfire at night telling the story from the day from last year from whatever and this is going to have you know in between the technical stuff and the training stuff a lot of you out here all by yourself like that kind of i want to hear stories from people you know, the fringe people, like we said, I want to hear their stories about hunting and any kind of story. It can be a story where they didn't kill anything. It can be a story about a rabbit hunt. It can be, you know, everyone loves the big Western big game stories and things like that, but, you know, that's not everyone. And so I want to hear stories just that, right, pe- it. that people are passionate about, no matter what animal it is. Riding in a canoe, gigging frogs with your dad. Right, yeah. Like if if you've been riding in a canoe and gigging frogs, like I want to hear about your story about that. So yeah, that's I've already contacted um, a few people about that sort of thing and about various areas of expertise that they may have, but that's kind of it in a nutshell. You know, that's what we're, or that's what I'm uh, planning on doing. Who knows, you know, we, we might end up heading off in a slightly different direction. But, you know, that's that's the base plan for now. And when Andrea says we, she means her and her guests, because I won't be here often. <laughs> I am. When I have a story to tell, I don't want to just sit here and talk at the microphone for half an hour. So I'll bring Matt in to help me tell that story. When we talk about frog gigging, I just realized that not only have most people not been frog gigging, but I'm like, yeah. Not when I thought about that, I'm like, yeah. Not only would most people not know where to start, I now know if if you said, "Hey, we're gonna go frog gig," and you have to go buy a frog gig, like I know what I would buy based on memory. <laughs> like <laughs> I know what gig worked better from being a kid riding in a. And if you don't know what frog gigging is, you have a long pole with a little trident on the end with barbed tips, and when you you go at night. You spotlight the frog and you stab them with this thing, and then you cut their legs off and fry them. I mean, there's some steps in the middle there, but yeah, that's the basics. And and don't get the trident shaped ones. Oh well, that's the type I used to use. Nah. All right. Well, I think that's it. Are we done? Do, you, that... do you need me to say the 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 phrase? magic phrase? Um, is there anything else that people need to know about me other than I? like to do dangerous shit and go fast and I get bored easily. Um, you're a five foot tall five foot five and a half. <laughs>
and a half. <laughs> Red-headed, mohawked woman. So you don't I really got tattoos. You really stick out in the woods like a sore thumb. I really do, man. I get some I get some looks for sure. She looks like somebody that found a Cabela's catalog yesterday and was like, This looks fun and started <laughs> tromping around in the woods. Yeah, except the places where I've the most recent one was when I was elk cutting. I I literally found these hiked miles up to this ridge line of the Sangre de Cristos. Found fucking boot prints up there. This is when I knew it was there were too many hunters out there. I'm I went to this spot where I'm like, there's no freaking way anyone is gonna come up here because it's so hard to get here. And I saw boot prints and I was kind of disappointed. And on the way down, I actually caught up to the dudes who had made the boot prints and they looked at me like I was a fucking Sasquatch coming out of the woods. Like, first of all, who else would have done that? Because they didn't expect anyone else to have gone up there. And second of all, it's this lady hiking up being like, hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> so Those guys definitely shit their pants. <laughs> yeah, I think they did just a little bit. Well, I think that is all that we can talk about. And I hope that you come back for future podcasts. And goodbye for now.